Hello, hello, and welcome back to the Plant Powered People podcast with your hosts, Michelle Kane and Tony Okamoto. Happy New Year! Yay! <laughs> this is a time where many people are making their New Year's resolutions, and often good health is on that list. Yes. Uh, We all want to face everyday life feeling our best, and uh, we today are bringing on a guest who I have known for many, many years and has been just hugely inspiring to me and so many others. His story is one that is not to be missed, and I just knew that we had to bring him on the show to share his story with you. And if you haven't listened to last year's podcast, our New Year's podcast was with Karen Brockway last year. Hers is also inspiring. So get double, double the inspiration. She talks a lot about our plant based on a budget meal plans and how they were inspiring to her and helped her get through the hump of, of planning and just day to day meals. So yeah, we highly recommend going back, listening to those podcasts, checking out plantbasedmealplan.com and listening to the rest of this very incredibly inspiring story from Eric O'Gray. Hi, Eric. Thank you so much for coming on our podcast today. Hi, Tony and Michelle. How are you? And thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity to be here. We have the privilege to be recording this live at Michelle's house. So that is a special treat for us. We usually do it on the computer. And so to be with you here in person is very awesome. This is so much nicer than Skype, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah, it really is. Thank you for coming all the way out here. And this is a really special one for me too, because Eric, we've known each other for so many years and we met at kind of the beginning of a big transition in your story, which we'll get into, but... um, We were, you know, uh, you and I met at a time that I had gone vegan and I was 100% vegan and I won't try to spoil the story here, but I just lost about 150 pounds in 10 months by going on a vegan diet. And I didn't know a single other person on earth who was vegan. So I started like looking around and trying to combine, well, I like to run and I like being vegan. What should I do? So then I found the- uh, uh, the, Pita Pack. The Pita Pack. Team training program, run race for animals. (laughs) And Michelle was in charge of that in Oakland. So I just went and um, it's it's all history from here. We want to hear all about that history, but first- We want to know your background. What were you eating before you met Michelle and uh, before you started running and getting involved in your weight loss journey? What were you, where were you from? What were you eating? What did your family eat? How did all that go down for you? I was born and raised in San Francisco. Really, I was born at San Francisco General Hospital in 1959. And uh, one thing led to another. I'd been in the military. I'd done all kinds of things. And by the time I was 50 years old, uh, life had just caught up to me and I was about 340, 350 pounds. And it was just a gradual transition. I mean, I had been in reasonably good shape in the military, but I seemed to be putting on uh, 10, 20 pounds a year, kind of consistently. My waist size was growing an inch or two a year. And, you know, by 40... I remember by 42, I had kind of like one of my first wake-up moments, and that was going into Nordstrom Palo Alto at Stanford. And my pants didn't fit anymore, and I just kind of become resigned that every time that my pants didn't fit, I just went out and bought a new wardrobe. So I went in there, and the man behind the counter, who was very athletic-looking, young, you know, looked like he was probably on the swim team or something, measured my waist and said, I'm sorry, sir, we don't have pants that fit your waist because I'd just gotten above 42 and that was their cutoff at the time. So he said, you're going to need to go to a big and tall men's store. And that was kind of shocking to me because I, I, I like buying nice things. I mean, I could afford to buy nice things at the time. And suddenly I was being told to shop at like the men's warehouse or like a big and tall shop or something like that. And those places, unfortunately, in men's stores, they're selling mostly like size 3X, 4X Hawaiian shirts and you know, things with stretch, uh, stretch uh, waists. And it's not really like elegant looking uh, finer menswear. So that was a a hard uh, thing for me, but I did that. And then I just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And by the time that I was 50 years old, I had a 52 inch waist and I was 340, 350 pounds. And life had just become absolutely unmanageable. It was painful to walk. I needed to stack 
Tylenol, Advil, and Oxycontin to um, stand for over an hour or walk more than about 100 yards. It was that kind of painful. And it was so painful and so difficult because clothing doesn't fit when you're that large at all. It, it just... It just doesn't fit well. Um, you almost need suspenders when, you're, when your waist is that big. So I stopped going outside and I let all my friends go by the wayside. And there was a period at like when I was 50 that I'd been so obese for so long that I, I had stopped going outside entirely unless it was an emergency absolutely required by my work. Otherwise I'd lose my job. I was working out of my apartment, just kind of like doing sales calls over the phone at the time. and. I didn't have any friends anymore and I hadn't been on a date in 15 years. I've been single just like by myself for 15 years living in a, uh, an apartment in Palo Alto. What did your family think? Did, were they worried that you were not leaving the house? Were they worried about your depression? Well, my family was all remote and I didn't come from really a close family. Uh, I left home when I was 17 to join the army and that's really the last interaction that I had with most of my family. It was a, a, an unusual time. It sounds kind of funny to a lot of people, but at the time growing up in the 60s near San Francisco, it was a pretty wild era. And it wasn't really like a lot of closeness between people. So for whatever culturally or family reason, I didn't really have a close family. So I wasn't really interacting with anybody family. I hadn't really had any friends in years uh, the only friends that I, acquaintances that I would have were uh, like work associates, people that you work with, that you interact with on a daily basis because kind of you have to. But because I was working for, in a field sales position for a remote manufacturer, my manufacturer that I was working for at the time was in New Jersey. I was in California. So I really only had to go outside twice a year on sales trips. So to answer your question, what were you eating at the time? What was your diet? It was a standard American diet. And it's what I come to call the uh, the window diet because, uh, well, it's normally when you drive up to a fast food restaurant and they hand you a bag of food through your window. Mm -hmm. This was really people delivering stuff to my door. So I didn't know how to cook at all. I couldn't do anything other than boil water and use a microwave oven. So I would uh, have like food delivery services bring like basic items to me. I would have, uh, you know, pizza delivery, Chinese food, you know, whatever I could kind of like get a standard American diet that was just uh, whatever people would deliver to the door. I mean, I was not going outside of the point that I wasn't even using the uh, laundry facilities in my apartment building. I was paying a wash, dry and fold service to come in a dry cleaning service to come over and pick up my clothing. They wouldn't do the socks and the underwear, just like the pants and the shirts and everything. So I was buying my socks and underwear on Amazon and I was wearing them once and then throwing them in the corner of a spare room. And by the time that I really kind of like all this kind of became a crisis, like a health crisis for me, I had over a thousand pair of socks and underwear in the corner of my room. And that's how much I didn't go outside. I'm curious how that happened. Did you realize that this was how your life was becoming while you were in it? I talk about this a lot uh, in public speaking. There's a difference between a gradual creeping crisis, like an insidious crisis, something that happens very slowly, so slowly that you don't notice it in a, an immediate like car crash or airplane crash kind of crisis. When, when something, when you're driving along and you, somebody pulls in front of you and you hit them, I mean, that's like an emergency, your car is dented or out of commission. You recognize that as an immediate problem because it involves such a striking difference between the status quo that you'd experienced just a few minutes before. Mm -hmm. But when you gain weight slowly and gradually over a period of 20, 25 years, just a little bit, the person that you're seeing in the mirror every day doesn't change. It's not like you're looking in the mirror and there's a dramatic difference between one day and the next. Mm -hmm. It's just a slow creeping change that you don't recognize as a crisis and you never recognize as a crisis because it happens so slowly. Yeah, it's it's crazy hearing the stories, which I've heard some of these stories, but not not all of them. Um, and and knowing you only from the other side or the start of the other side, because for those listening, like Eric is the most warm personality. He's a bringer together of people. He speaks publicly, nationally, all over the all over the world. Um, and just like you're, you never like skip an opportunity to be social and be with people. And so thinking back to, um, yeah, just like the, the difficult 
struggle that that must have felt internally, um, losing touch with, with just social people and like what seems to be so core to who you are, um, must've been really hard. <laughs> yeah. So it was it, just in addition to the weight, I was on about 15 different medications at the time, including, uh, 200 units of insulin a day for type two diabetes, three different antidepressants and the entire cornucopia of high blood pressure, uh, uh, statin for cholesterol and every other medication that you could imagine, including medications designed to mitigate the side effects of other medications. So it was all those things have a profound, in addition to the weight and the just general shame that you feel in society going outside, everybody who looks at you um, when you're that big is either turning their eyes really quickly or looking at you with judgment and you feel some absolute shame, uh, just like walking around and being in public. And that tends to make, made me, and I think a lot of people like me, a lot more reclusive. It's just a a really big feeling shame. Let me give you an example. I had my turnaround moment when I was uh, boarding an aircraft at the end of a sales meeting. And it was like really excruciating to get through the airport because my body is so big, it's kind of touching both sides of the metal detector on the way through the airport. So it automatically sets it off. And it's just really difficult traveling when you're that big. But getting on the airplane finally is the most humiliating and embarrassing situation of all, because as you get on the airplane and most people are seated on the airplane, every single person on the plane has a look of fear in their eye as you're you're walking down the aisle. You're not walking down the aisle. You're kind of like turning sideways and going sideways down the aisle like a crab because you can't really make it straight on. Every single person on that plane is looking and you know that what they're thinking when they're looking at you, it's please God, don't let that guy sit next to me. So finally, you get to the seat and, you know, whoever lost the lottery for the day and is your seatmate, you know, you're wedging yourself into, and I did that day, I wedged myself into a center seat that is airplane seats are the same size as seats for middle school um, uh, buses. So if you look at a two across middle school bus, you're getting the same amount of seat for adult airline um seats on airplanes today. So I would wedge my, I wedged myself into that seat and, you know, I spilled over on both sides of the armrest by about six inches on each side. And it's, it's kind of a miserable thing, especially for men that have like space issues. Men don't like to touch each other. It's been my experience. (laughs) And, you know, you're sitting next to somebody for the duration of a flight and have no choice, but to touch you because you're kind of, your body is pressing into them. And there's, I mean, even if they try to restrict their arms, it'd still be like that. But on that particular day, you know, turn up the embarrassment and the shame because the the FAA has rules that the plane can't take off unless everybody is, is buckled into the plane. And so on that particular day, they ran out of seatbelt extensions on the airplane. I couldn't fit a standard seatbelt because my waist was 52 inches. So they had to get a seatbelt extension off of another plane. I delayed the plane flight by about 45 minutes and the guy next to me was was talking about how he was going to miss his flight because I was so fat. And that was a huge deal for me because as I said, I'd been in the military. I'd never been on any form of government assistance in my life. And I'd always prided myself on kind of taking care of my own thing. It's, I don't know, whatever, call it a guy thing or whatever, but you know, suddenly I was dependent on other people and I was holding up an entire airplane full of people because of my my weight issues. And that was just a really kind of like a profound uh, sense of shame and sadness on me. I mean, what was next? Would I end up being 600 pounds in a managed care facility, having to be turned over by four to six orderlies just to use the bathroom? I mean, where does this stop? And so after that, fortunately, I, uh, I went home and the very next day following that, I was at, I was watching TV and it was, uh, Wolf Blitzer was talking to Bill Clinton and this was, this was roughly 2010. And Bill was talking about, uh, he, he really looked good. The, the bags under his eyes were gone. His face looked really oval instead of round. He looked better than I'd ever seen him physically. He really looked healthy. So Wolf stops the interview and says, well, what have you done? Because you've obviously lost weight and you know America wants to know. So he said, well, his daughter was about to get married 
and he had been diagnosed with some fairly severe heart problems and he wanted to be able to, you know, hopefully dance at his granddaughter's wedding. And so he thought it was very important. So he went out and he, he found uh, a team of doctors to help him. And these doctors were influenced or part of a, a, something called the China study. And so I'd never heard anybody talk about anything like that before. At that point, I had tried every diet ever commercially marketed in the United States, Weight Watchers, Nutrisystems, Atkins. I'd, I'd cycled on and off Atkins for about 20 years. And I was always able to drop about uh, you know, 30, 40 pounds, but then I would plateau and I couldn't get any further. And at some point I just throw up my hands. And as soon as I backslid on that program, I would not only gain all the weight back, but then some. So when he was talking about, he said a plant-based diet, and I'd never heard the term before. So I immediately Googled Clinton plant-based diet. And this was in roughly August, 2010. And Google came up with no search results found for the term Clinton plant-based diet in August, 2010. And if you Google that same term now, you're going to get over 30 million hits. Wow. So that's how far that we've come in just, uh, you know, going on nine, nine, 10 years. So I didn't know what to do. So I started calling around and I called around different doctors because I needed to get a new doctor because my previous doctor... <clears throat> When I went in to see him and, you know, looking for an ultimate solution for this, what can I done to correct this rather than just getting prescribed more medications? Because every doctor that I'd ever gone into had a common routine. They would be holding a prescription pad and a pen when they talked to me. And with a prescription pad and the pen, they were looking to talk to me for about five minutes. And they were listening for the thing that I was complaining about most loudly that day, my chief complaint. And then they would write me a prescription for that thing or adjust an existing prescription to, you know, try to further help the problem. That's how I ended up on 15 different medications. So this one guy that I was seeing, this doctor, went in and uh, saw me and said, you know, I'm sorry that we've run out of treatment options for you. And he was very blunt. Some, some uh, physicians are just extremely like distant, you know, and not sensitive. And he said, um, I suggest that you purchase a cemetery plot because you're likely going to need one in the next five years. So it was that point that I decided to get a second opinion. And when when uh, President Clinton was on TV talking about a plant-based diet, I just started calling and calling and calling and calling and calling from Google. And ultimately, I found a lady in Cupertino, California, who said not only did she know what a plant-based diet was, but that's what she followed herself and she would love to see me and she could explain what that was and help me get started if I was interested. And was Cupertino near you or was this something that you were going to have to invest your time in getting there and um, go the extra distance to make happen for yourself? So this is Dr. Preeti Kolkarni, P-R-E-E-T-Y Kolkarni. And she's in Core Integrative Health in Cupertino, California. I was living in Mountain View at the time. So it was about like 15, 20 minutes away. It wasn't a big deal at all. So that was very convenient. So I saw her and the difference between her and every other doctor that I'd ever seen, and I was floored by this, was instead of just spending five minutes with me and sending me on my way with a new prescription, she spent about an hour and a half with me. And during our time, she asked me all these embarrassing questions about everything, my entire life history. I had to admit to her that you know, I hadn't been on a date in 15 years. I just stopped going out in public. I didn't want to go out in public. She tells me that I wasn't even like maintaining eye contact with her or anything. I was just kind of like looking at the ground when I was talking to her. Which is surprising because I think you have really great eye contact <laughs> right now. <laughs> Thank you so much. And so I was really curious because I've always been fascinated with, you know, how people's occupations and systems and processes and how people get paid. So I said, Dr. Preeti, how can you, how can you spend an hour, hour and a half with me? How can you afford to do that? And she said, well... I'm not here to have one meeting with you. I'm here to help you change your life. And we're going to do that by you're going to meet with me every week. And we're going to set up this routine and we're going to come in and we're going to talk about what worked and what didn't. And I'm going to help you get on a plant-based diet. And if necessary, I'll go shopping with you and we'll even learn how to cook. And I said, no way. <laughs> <laughs> and she said, yes. And I said, okay. 
So she worked it out that she was able to work with my uh, insurer, my insurance company, and all I needed to come up with was a $25 a week copay. That's nothing, right? Well, it wasn't for me at the time. I mean, it might be for some people, and I apologize if it is, but at the time, that was I, I, it wasn't even a consideration. So I agreed to this, and she said, I'm going to prescribe two things for you today. And I go, oh, here it comes. <laughs> You know, because California at the time was just coming into like medical marijuana. I mean, was so uh, this was, seemed kind of weird. So what was she going to do? But it turned out to be normal. She said, I'm prescribing a whole food plant-based diet. And I also want you to go adopt a dog from your local shelter. And I'm thinking, why would I want to adopt a dog? I've never had a pet before. And that just seems kind of like weird. I mean, what does my medical condition have to do with a dog? And so I said, can I get a cat instead? And she said, no. Have you ever seen anybody walk a cat? I said, I think I've seen it done on TV. <laughs> <laughs> so she said, now I want you to go adopt a dog. And um, so we, we discussed that. And I went home and the first thing I did was I took her list of what to buy at the supermarket. And she gave me a list of recipes and what to put in my pantry and what to throw out. So I agreed that I would do exactly what she told me to do. She said, you have to follow my instructions exactly. And I said, I'll follow them exactly because at this point in my life, doing things for myself and second guessing all these things and trying to come up with my own plan hasn't worked. So I'm going to do exactly what you tell me to do. So I went home, I got like, you know, beans and rice and various different things at the Safeway. I went home, collapsed. And I, I, I then got up and that night I tried to make beans and rice and I set off the fire alarm in my apartment building. <laughs> True story. And I had to evacuate the building because oh my of my beans and rice. And there's this fat guy causing all these problems again, right? So, so we, we did that. And so I, I realized I needed to work on that. But then the next day, I started Googling again. And I found, um, I found like, where do, how do I adopt a dog? So I found Humane Society Silicon Valley in uh, Milpitas, California. And they were the largest uh, place on the internet near where I was that had like, seemed to have a lot of dogs and they had dogs of all shapes and sizes. They had little dogs named Fifi and they had <laughs> big, scary looking dogs. And they had like crazy kind of dogs, you know, they had all <laughs> kinds of dogs. So I go, wow, this must be great. So I called and I said, I need uh, to adopt a dog. And my, my doctor told me to adopt an obese middle-aged dog. So we'd have something in common. <laughs> and they said, we have the perfect dog. Come on down. So I said, you know, the perfect dog, what is a perfect dog? And the perfect dog is, um, that's a dog that is eight pounds or so. And it's really small. And it's got like these little blonde curls and it's always smiling at me and it's never going to be it's going to be hypoallergenic, so it's never going to cause any allergy problems. <laughs> and it's always going to be uh, happy, and it's never going to bark. And it's never, ever in the history of that dog ever going to pee or poop in my apartment. <laughs> so I went down there with that in mind, thinking that I was going to adopt an eight-pound golden retriever. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm sitting... You know, so I went down to Humane Society Silicon Valley and the intake coordinator did the same thing with me that Dr. Preeti did. She said, well, we want to find out what you have to offer our dogs. And that was like, offer your dogs? Mm -hmm. I mean, I thought you were trying to get rid of them. And she said, no, these, these are like individuals and these are, we, so we, we think that we have a good idea of which dog we want to place you with. But, you know, we want to have a long conversation first and help you understand that adopting a dog is a lifetime commitment. There's no take backs. It's like, we're, we can't really show you a dog until you agree that this dog is going to be part of your family and you're going to be bonded with this dog until the day you die. And I said, yes, ma'am, I agree. And so I'm sitting in the adoption room thinking about this perfect angelic little dog that I'm about ready to get. And I hear this sound and it sounds like Godzilla is walking down the hallway. <laughs> And there's these, these clacks of nails on concrete and there's this huffing and puffing. And it truly sounded like somebody was about ready to try to take over Tokyo or something. <laughs> and so in walks this dog. And this was the most unhealthy, obese dog that I'd ever seen in my life. This dog was looking down on the ground. His shoulders were slumped. 
He'd seen better days. It was like he was just really depressed. You know, he looked a lot like me. And so I look up at the adoption coordinator and I say, well, where's my dog? Because <laughs> this couldn't possibly be my perfect dog, right? And as soon as I said that, this dog looked up at me and he was he was clearly more disappointed in me than I was in him. And so I, I said, and the, the adoption coordinator sensed this and her name was Cassandra and she's still there at HSSV and she adopts all the, the terminally ill senior dogs that nobody else wants. She's got like... 10 dogs in her office all the time. They're all her dogs. She takes them home every night, brings them to work. It's just an amazing situation. So she said, well, she, she understood that my skepticism, like how I, you know, I was kind of nervous about the dog. So anyway, she said that, um, um, well, you told me that about your issues and you said you wanted a dog that you had a lot in common with. She said, is there any dog? This is the dog here that you're going to have most in common with out of all of our dogs. I couldn't disagree with that. So I just said, yes, ma'am, again. And I took this dog home. Now, at the time, this dog's name was Raider because he was black and silver, black and white. And, you know, depending on which side of the bay you grew up on, I grew up on the San Francisco 49ers side of the bay versus the Oakland Raiders side of the bay. And the two sides kind of hate each other from a football <laughs> perspective. So the first thing I had to do was disabuse this uh, poor dog of his name. So, so I named him Petey uh, because when I was growing up, there was this program on TV, it was black and white called The Little Rascals. And that was my only ever interaction with a dog before. So it seemed like, you know, that was a cool dog. So I decided to name my new dog Petey. So Petey and I went home. And the crazy thing is, is he'd never, I don't think he, he'd, my understanding from his history is he'd been chained up in a backyard most of his life. So he, when he demonstrated excitement, he just jumped up and down vertically. If you ever see a dog that gets excited and they just jump up and down vertically, they've spent most of their time on a chain because that's the only way that they know how to express excitement. They can't like move forward, they just jump up and down. See, I don't think he'd ever been in a car before because he didn't know how to get in the car and I had to really lift him in and that was some problems because I was so heavy also. But when we got home to my elevator, the elevator door opened and he looked at me and he looked at this and it looked to him, the elevator was like a small room. And he thought that I was gonna put him in a kennel or something, like a little room and he wasn't gonna go in there to save his life. And so I tried to coax him into the elevator and he wouldn't go in. So he kind of pancaked with all his four arms and legs sticking out <laughs> to the side <laughs> and I had to grab him by the collar and slide him into the elevator. And the look on his face when we got up to the third floor and he was in a different place than where he got on, it was like he just got out of a magic room. <laughs> I mean, this is a great, this is something I'd never seen before. It's just the perspective. Yeah. So we went into my apartment and I didn't know what to do with him and he didn't know what to do with me. So he took residence on one side of my apartment, like in a corner and I was like on the couch and we just kind of like looked at each other skeptically for the first three days, like, like side eye, right? And at the same time, the other thing Dr. Preeti told me that I had to do was walk for a half an hour, twice a day. And if I couldn't get all of it at once, you know, work up to that. So um, Petey and I went out and we walked and we walked for, uh, we got, made it about a hundred yards and back home and we we're both exhausted and we both had to collapse on the couch. But we started getting like a little bit further. But on the third night that I had him, we'd started bonding a little bit. And on the third night that I had him, he hopped up on my bed with me Fortunately, it was fairly low to the ground so he could do that. So he hopped up on the bed with me and he stuck his chin on my chest and we just became totally bonded after that. It was the strongest bond that I'd ever experienced with a person or an animal of any kind or any kind of entity in my life. It was like a straight from the heart bond of brotherhood. And, you know, he knew that he was there for me and I was there for him. And I just started thinking, man, I've got to, I got to be serious about this because if I don't, you know, if anything happens to me and I die, I mean, nobody's going to take him. They're just going to put him down. So I had to do this for him. And I think that he was like looking at the same thing for me also. He didn't really care about himself. He only cared about me. I mean, his job on earth was to protect me. He would like scout in front of me, kind of like clearing the area of bad guys. When we went into a room, he would sit in the 
uh, door, door frame of the room because that was his way of guarding the cave. So he loved me so much and it was the greatest unconditional love that I'd ever experienced in my life. He loved me so much that I just decided, and he thought that I was the greatest person that ever walked the earth. And I just decided that I was going to become the person who he thought that I was. And so we were there for each other. And I just decided, you know, for the rest of this dog's life, he's going to go on vacations. He's going to have tremendously fascinating experiences and we're going to be there for each other. And so within three weeks, I started losing like five, six pounds a week. It was like nothing I'd ever experienced because I was strictly following a whole food plant-based diet with no added oil. My uh, my uh, doctor was, you know, helping me understand how to cook and how to prepare foods that, you know, I could actually eat. I'm curious sure. of which resources she provided you because stepping into cooking when you aren't familiar with using your stove is hard enough, but when you are doing it with a strict diet and you don't really know how to pair foods together yet, it's extremely challenging. So how did she how did she assist you in making that delicious and sustainable? So she gave me a bunch of printed recipes that were pretty foolproof. You know, you're talking like basic ingredients and here's what you mix together. So she had a number of printed recipes in addition to like grocery lists. And so I was just kind of like executing the recipes. Were you going to the grocery store to buy those yeah, ingredients? I was, yeah. Good. So I was having to go outside. And the other thing that she said when I asked her, what, why, why should I get a dog? She said it's for several reasons. First, you're going to get some basic exercise by having a dog. Secondly, you're going to get some sunshine on your skin, which you're currently not getting at all. And thirdly, you're going to be out there interfacing and you're going to see people again, which you're currently not doing. And that's like a tremendously important thing is to have some sort of interaction with other people. So you're going to be getting back into life by doing all these things. And part of that therapy was also going to the grocery store. So I, uh, we, we did that and I felt so amazing. Within three weeks, I went back to Dr. Preeti on my third visit and I said, I feel better than I've ever felt in my entire life. I feel so good. My energy, my mental clarity, like the chronic depression and fatigue has gone away. I feel like I have stepped out of the matrix. And I said, what has happened? And she said, you're starting to feel normal. And I, you've never felt normal before. She said, you're starting to feel normal. I said, wow. And I felt so good. I felt so amazing, so extraordinary. I felt happiness and joy for really the first time about in my life that what I was getting, it immediately became clear to me by doing this, by jumping in all the way and following her instructions exactly. It became clear to me that what I was getting was so much greater than what I was giving up. So that these little like uh, uh, cravings and other things that I had to eat the unhealthy crap that I was eating before suddenly were no longer important to me at all. And I'd like to say also that I smoked for over 20 years and going vegan was 10 times easier than quitting smoking. It really was. So with the, with the, cause Dr. Pretty was providing me with pretty intense mentoring on like exactly how to do this. And I, I would not have been able to do this otherwise on my own because I didn't know how to do anything other than wrap, unwrap cheeseburgers and open pizza boxes for the most part. But like, in, in, so trial and error, because I was highly motivated to succeed at this point, I felt so good. I go, wow, if I feel this good now, how good can I feel? And so I kept at it and PD and I kept walking. Within three months, I was off insulin and all my other medications, really everything. And so suddenly I'd gone from 15 meds to nothing. I mean, my this is so profound that my employer and my insurance company were paying over $100,000 a year for my medical care. I had a $4,000 annual deductible that I was that I was meeting by the end of January every year, just out of pocket. And suddenly all that went away. And all I had to do was finish my appointments with Dr. Preeti and get to the end of this. And then after that time, I mean, I have one or two medicals a year and I get like a full blood panel drawn like once or twice a year just to check my stats and everything. They've been optimized for uh, almost 10 years now on this. And my my medical care has just dropped to, um, uh, you know, just fitness exams like once or twice a year. So I want to clarify, just through walking PD 
and a change of your diet, within three months, you were able to eliminate the 15 medications you were on. Yeah. One of the books that she gave me to read was Dr. Bernard's, Neil Bernard's 2007 book about uh, diabetes. And I read that and it made a lot of sense. And what that book says is that the um, uh, diabetes is not caused by high blood sugar. High blood sugar is a symptom of type 2 diabetes, right? Because you're building up excess glucose in your bloodstream because your body's not able to process it efficiently. And your body's not able to process it efficiently because you have intramyocellular lipids, which are little fat particles plugging up your muscle cells and your liver cells especially, so that they're not allowing the insulin to properly transport the glucose into your cells. So because the glucose isn't getting into your cells, it's building up in your bloodstream. So the high blood sugar is a symptom of type 2 diabetes. The cause of the type 2 diabetes is uh, intramyocellular lipids, the little fat particles plugging that up. So if you eliminate the animal fat, specifically the saturated fats, according to Dr. Bernard's book, and this was exactly my experience, then the, your, your, your blood sugar goes down because your body is able, your cells are able to then use the, uh, the glucose in your bloodstream and it's not being prevented from getting in by improper, by um, a dysfunctional uh, insulin reaction or insulin sensitivity or yeah, insulin resistance. So that's how it worked. And that's exactly how it worked. And I was able to then uh, get off my insulin and all my other meds within three months. It was, yeah. it was like a miracle. It was like nothing I'd ever experienced before. Like I said, I've tried everything on the market. And let me just say something. If anybody's ever tried Nutrisystem, right? They send you a big box of food in the mail and that's supposed to last like 30 days. Well, I, I tried that once and they sent a big box of food and I got hungry and I ate the whole box of food in three days. So I called the 800 number and I said, well, you know, how long is this box of food supposed to last? And they said, 30 days. And I said, well, you better send me 10 more boxes. And so that, that program didn't work and nothing else did. And this was the first thing that I ever tried that did work. And it works so cleanly and so efficiently that um, I, I was just shocked. And were you, how were you, what kind of portions were you serving in the whole food plant-based diet? Were you still Limiting. eating a lot of food? No, I, I ate as much as I wanted to. I ate until I was full. And the, the difference is this, on processed food, like all these processed packaged foods that, that people eat, they are designed, and there's a fascinating New York Times article from 2013 called The Science of um, Food Addiction. And these processed foods are made by food companies to achieve the maximum possible addictive properties. So they actually run consumer panels and the formula or the recipe they choose for the final product is the one that people have the hardest time to stop eating and overeat on because that's how they're going to maximize their revenues, maximize their profits. And so by eating what I was eating before, I was eating food that maximized the craving associated with eating the food and caused me to overeat that food. And when I stopped eating that food and I ate whole plants instead, just whole food plant-based diet or whole plants, the way that they come out of the ground, now you can cut them up and prepare them any way that you want, provided that you're not adding oil to them. But by eating like that, I was able to, I learned how to make delicious foods. I could make lasagnas. You remember the lasagna that I, I made that time? Yeah, soon after meeting, Eric started hosting these vegan what did, what did we call it? Vegan dinner parties. Yeah. And inviting people over and also structuring them as fundraisers. So um, you'd kick in a little bit when you come to the dinner party and then it was donated to support various nonprofits or animal causes at the end of it. And it was so beautiful. And everyone who came there was like, what is this? Your lasagna was yeah. just like everyone, I think, went home asking you for the recipe. And like years later, I still remember emailing you, Eric, I can't find your recipe. Like, <laughs> can you send me that lasagna recipe? So, so I learned how to, um, and the other thing that Dr. Preeti got me to do that I connected with a guy named uh, Philip Gelb in Oakland who teaches uh, vegan cooking classes. So I started going to his vegan cooking classes and I went through 12 or 15 of his classes. So I learned how to make, you know, he doesn't, the, the fascinating thing about him is he doesn't advertise them as vegan cooking classes. They include absolutely zero animal products. But I, I said, why don't you just say vegan? And he said, well, because it's just food. Makes sense, right? So I learned how to make uh, like world-class 
Asian dish cuisines, uh, uh, Chinese, Korean, uh, Thai, really uh, Spanish. I mean, I learned how to make uh, just- Oh, your paella. Yeah, the paella, just <laughs> fantastic paellas and just all this stuff. And the incredible thing was it tasted better than the foods that I ate before, but it was also healthy. And when I say tasted better than the foods that I ate before, because when taking Philip's cooking classes, I learned my herb and spice combinations. You see, it doesn't take skill to make food taste good by adding a stick of butter or a cup of sugar or bacon to it. Anybody can do that. That does not make a qualified chef. What makes a good chef is somebody that can take just herbs and spices the way that they exist in nature and blend them to get more delicious food and greater flavor than you can get out of food with animal products in it. And that's what I learned how to do. And it became a fascinating thing to me. And I just really like, how far can I go with this? So, uh, I mean, at this point, I feel like I'm a fairly accomplished vegan chef. And quickly, just for people who are listening and who are really inspired by you, how can the person who's listening, just stepping into, maybe they're not even stepping into plant-based, but they Curious. Curious about it. And they want to start from microwave foods to introducing a little bit of plant-based cooking into their lifestyle. Okay. Not trying to plug myself, but on my website, which is ericandpd.com. So it's just E-R-I-C-A-N-D-P-E-E-Y-P-E-E-T-Y.com. There's a, a pull down tab that says resources. And if you go there, it'll have my favorite resources, which would include books on how to, why to go vegan or why to go plant-based. And then there's also a bunch of books on how to do it. So a complete set of cookbooks that are healthy vegan cookbooks. And also every question you'd ever want to ask, there's a list of materials there and it's, you know, not, I don't make money on it. It's, it's just there. And these are the resources that helped you? Yes. These are all resources. I have all these books. I've read them all and I love them and I'd recommend them to anyone. I remember you talking specifically when I came over to your house for the first time about your blender, how you had like never used a blender before. Mm -hmm. And then you got a blender and you were making food in every day, like smoothies every day. Yeah. So I love my Vitamix. This is definitely a shout out to Vitamix that I have absolutely no commercial interest. But anyway, you know, just the, the simple things that I learned how to do. So I learned how to use different flavors to make food taste good. I learned what products also um, are best for use in a plant-based kitchen. And in the publication section of my website, where I list out like all the things that I've kind of like written, the magazine articles and everything, there is there are three publications, one talking about uh, the Ultimate Vegan Pantry, the uh, Ultimate Vegan Herb and Spice Combinations for Flavoring, and then also the best products that you can use for uh, your own vegan kitchen. And so I talk about herb and spice mills that, you know, so why buy, just as an example, if you're buying these little $5 uh, spice packets at Whole Foods, I mean, just stop. Because what you're doing right there, that'd be like buying pre-ground coffee and keeping it in your shelf for three or six months, it's gonna go rancid, it's gonna lose all the flavor and, and, and aroma because all that dissipates after the product is ground. But if you take spices and you get like a, a $79 KitchenAid spice mill, right? And you take fresh full seed spices and you put them in there and just grind out what you need, just the, the flavors and the aromas and the scents coming off your cooking are going to be out of this world. And it makes a massive amount of difference in the quality of the product. And, you know, the, just the sense that he hit people in the face when they walk into your place for a dinner party or whatever, it's the only way to go. So there's a bunch of resources like that under the publication section of my website, if you're interested. That's awesome. Can you talk a little bit about, so you went from not cooking at all, from right. being able to have your food handed to you literally while you're in your home or at a drive-through window. As much as you were loving getting into cooking and the final result when you do things beautifully, like grounding your own spices, grinding your own spices, were there moments of struggle where you're like, I'm exhausted. I'm like, I don't have the energy to cook a home-cooked meal right now. And how did you kind of grapple with that in your mind? So That's a great question. And what I started doing was I started cooking mostly on Sundays because I I started getting fairly busy. As part of, let me just jump to the end really quick and let everybody know that as part of what I did, uh, I ended up losing 150 pounds, went from 340 to 180, whatever that is, maybe slightly more than 150 in 10 months. 
And it was like, it was like nothing I'd ever experienced. My only cost in doing that was a $25 a week copay. The most expensive part of the entire process was clothing replacement. And just as trivia for anybody that is trying to lose or that goes through like a rapid weight loss, um, what happens is in, in my case, every inch on my waistline translated to about 10 pounds. So every 30 pounds that I'd lose, that's about three inches on my waistline, could not wear the previous clothes, had to completely replace my entire clothing just so that I could walk outside and be normal in a business situation. And so I also had to learn how to shop at like, you know, Marshalls and TJ Maxx mm-hmm. and places like that for the first time because I was looking for inexpensive clothes to get through the process. But that 10-month transition clothing was about $3,500. So that was like the most expensive part. It wasn't the food. The food was actually less expensive once I learned how to do it. I learned how to buy in the bulk bins at the supermarket and, and get like, you know, uh, uh, pinto beans. I learned that I could get a 25-pound bag of organic pinto beans at Costco for $29. And that would, that's enough pinto beans last me as much as I eat for almost a year. I mean, it's crazy. And like a, a, a 24, a, I believe a 12 or 20, yeah, 12 pound bag of organic brown rice at Costco is also $29. And that's, that's enough for, you know, four or five months. It's crazy how inexpensive a well-planned uh, uh, plant-based diet is compared to the processed food and the crap that you're eating right now. So anybody who thinks that it's more expensive to be vegan. You're wrong. It's more expensive if you don't know what you're doing, but if you stay out of the middle aisles in the supermarket and you shop the produce section and you shop the 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 perimeter of the supermarket, that's where all the whole foods are and where all the, the stuff that's gonna be the minimally processed stuff and that's also gonna be the least expensive stuff in the store and the healthiest stuff for you as well. Yeah, it's it's amazing how the least expensive diet is the healthiest diet, is the most sustainable diet because it's yeah. lowest on the food chain, doesn't require all the energy for processing and everything. It's generally a lot of that stuff is shelf stable for like a year plus, like if we're talking about dried beans. So you really can like go shopping less often once you stock your pantry right and learn how to cook. And it just is like a win-win-win all around. And so you you mentioned that you met Michelle running. Right. So where in this story (laughs) or when in the story did you go from, I can't walk 100 yards to, to outrunning all of us. Outrunning everyone. <laughs> it was a crazy experience. So I'm, I'm glad that you asked because I didn't start running until after I lost my weight. I, I lost all of my weight. And this is really important because I'm really athletic now and people go, well, yeah, it's because you run so much. No, it's not. I lost all the weight by doing nothing but eating a whole food plant-based diet with no processed oil and walking for half an hour twice a day. But after I lost the weight, I had so much energy. I was bouncing off the walls. I went back to Dr. Preeti and I said, well, what do I do now? I mean, I'm just like, you know, jumping all over the place. And she said, you need to find a form of exercise that you don't hate. Mm-hmm. It's very prophetic because I hated exercise. I didn't like going to the gym. You know, I was never able to maintain it for more than a couple of months before I'd give up and backslide and be back on the couch. So I started talking to people and somebody recommended that maybe I should try running because if I tried running, I would hate it for the first couple of weeks. But then what happened with most people is if you force yourself to continue doing it, it's like you're running along and a light switch gets turned on. And suddenly you go, wow, not only don't I hate this anymore, but I want to go farther. And it's exactly what happened with me. So I felt so good by running that I just decided that I really wanted to run some more. And so I then figured out, Dr. Preeti said, well, you know, running's great and here's what you're gonna do. If you join some running clubs, you're gonna find probably very healthy, successful, active people who, you know, are professional and educated and really nice people, positive people to be around. And, you know, it's like a built-in friends and that's exactly what happened. So I joined some running groups and I went from no friends at all to a couple hundred friends shortly thereafter. And that's when uh, I met uh, Michelle because uh, I joined her running group. Yeah. yeah so it was, it was a really beautiful experience. And then, so she knew all the running trails of the East Bay. And then, um, so we went to all these places and, and ran all these places, like all these beautiful places, shorelines and mountains and places I'd never seen before. And it was an extraordinarily uplifting experience. And how was it for Petey throughout your journey? Well, Petey wasn't a runner. He was, the first time that I ran, I took him to the uh, San Jose State running track and I ran around the track several times and 
he would just kind of hang his head out the window and bark at me as I went by uh, watching from the parking lot. But Petey and I kept walking in addition to my running. Long story short, I started running and I really liked it. And I just want to again repeat that weight loss in my view, and I think it's generally considered in the medical community is about 85% nutrition, maybe 15% exercise. You got to do some exercise though, really at least a half an hour. The uh, the, the US uh, government uh, sports, um, I forget what it's called, recommends exercise of 150 to 300 minutes a week, right? So that is uh, two and a half to five hours a week. Now, if you just do two and a half hours a week, that's fine. That's really all that you need if you're eating healthy. So if you're eating a whole food plant-based diet and you're uh, uh, just walking vigorously, and I'm not talking steps, I'm talking about a sustained heart rate for a half an hour, at least five times a week, that's probably all the exercise that you need to be healthy. But if you wanna go beyond that, as I did, I started running and really within a couple of months after I ran for the first time, I ran my first half marathon. And then later that summer, I ran my first full marathon. And since then, I've run over 30 full marathons and way over 100 halves. I don't even count anymore. And I had this dream the entire time that, you know, everybody who runs marathons has a dream of qualifying for the Boston Marathon because it's really hard to do. And less than 10% of the people that ever complete a marathon would qualify. And out of that, maybe 1% of the people running marathons in this country actually go and run the Boston Marathon. So it's very difficult to get into and there's very hard time requirements to qualify. So I kept working at it and working at it and working at it. And this year I qualified for the Boston Marathon three times. Wow, congratulations. Thank you. So I'm now registered <laughs> and I'll be running the uh, 2020 Boston Marathon on April 20th. 2020. Oh, we'll be cheering for you. Gosh, I know. We are so grateful that you came on to share your incredible story. But before you go, is there any advice that you'd give to anyone who's listening who may be stuck in a rut and um, and just in need of some inspiration? Yeah. So I want to just, if I if I may, time for one more thing. So as part of this process, um, I was in a, a short film called Eric and Petey, E-R-I-C-A-N-D-P-E-E-T-Y. You can Google it. And so it ended, we made a short film, actually, <clears throat> uh, Mutual Rescue did, and it's an organization involved in uh, rescuing uh, dogs and cats. They asked me if I'd appear in a short film, so I did. And it ended up getting 100 million internet views, and it completely changed my life. And that's really kind of like acted as springboard for several other things. So... It got 100 million internet views and the New York Times came out and said it was the number one internet news story of California for 2016. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, it is such a beautiful film. I mean, it tells the story that you just told through visuals and illustration and it's just so powerful. <laughs> so, so after that film came out, I mean, I was starting to get 10,000 emails a day and I went from being wow. like a regular guy to this like, you know, internet famous, like immediately thing. People were stopping me in airports and stuff. I mean, it was crazy. It was like nothing I'd ever experienced before. I got a dozen unsolicited marriage proposals. <laughs> but as a part of this process, what happened was an agent contacted me and asked me if I'd like to write a book. And then also my high school sweetheart, who I hadn't seen in 40 years, because we dated between 15 and 17. Then I went in the army and I was bad for a while. And I just, you know, one thing led to another, but she was, she got in touch with me and we decided to see each other again. And so she said, I am afraid to meet with you because I put on a lot of weight and I have health problems since we were together when we were younger, because we were both single at the time, right? So I said, I tell you what, don't worry about that because if you do exactly what I tell you to do, and if you do exactly what I did, I don't think you're going to have a problem. I think you'll quickly lose your weight and get your optimal health also. So she went from, her name's Jay, and she went from, uh, so we decided to resume our relationship after 40 years. And she went from size 20 to size two in 10 months and also lost all of her medical problems and got off all of her meds. And now we're living happily ever after in Lodi, California, married really beautiful. Yeah, thank you. And so <laughs> the book is being re-released in paperback with, I wrote an update chapter and that's going to come out in November if anybody's interested. It is a phenomenal book. I love that it 
it is not written with an agenda. It's telling your personal story. And I think that makes it so like holiday gift worthy to family or friends who are not on, uh, like they're, I don't know. It's just such a, a giftable, shareable book and doesn't come across in any way like preachy, which I think is so beautiful. And it's just such a fun, gentle read that's super inspiring. Thank you. But to answer your exact question, what would I suggest to anybody in my previous situation? It's this, you know, life is not over yet. You know, no matter what kind of situation that you're in in your life physically, you can still become the person that you've always wanted to be. And all you have to do is eat more fruits and vegetables and stop eating animal products. And if you do that and you connect with a doctor uh, through an organization like plantbaseddoctors.org, if you enter there and you enter in your zip code, it'll give you up a bunch of doctors in your area code within your zip code that are uh, plant-based friendly doctors and are gonna try to treat you with lifestyle medicine as what worked for me rather than additional medications. And if you connect with one of those doctors, they can also set you on the right path as Dr. Preeti did for me. And if you're sitting at home on your couch and you're just depressed and you feel like you know, you're know you at the end of your life, if you go out and you rescue a dog at your local shelter, that dog will love you more than anything, any person or animal that you've ever been with before because that dog is gonna know that you saved their life. And when you when you rescue that dog, you're saving two lives. You're saving the, the dog that you rescued and you're also saving an additional life for the dog that you m made room for at that shelter. So good on you for doing that. And that dog will love you and inspire you to get back into life and create a future for you that's gonna be filled with happiness and joy more than anything that you've ever experienced. So please find a lifestyle, a doctor practicing lifestyle medicine at the plantbaseddoctors.org. And also please consider going and adopting a dog at your local shelter because it really can and will change your life. Oh, that's beautiful. And it's not only giving a gift to yourself, but also a gift to, to all those that you then have the energy to be yourself around. You've, you've a inspired countless people and B just been such a gift to those around you. So you'll become a blessing to your entire family and your employer and everybody else in your life. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you again. I will post all of the resources that you listed on our show notes. As so, well as Eric's website, where you can find a ton of resources that he has and read even more about his story, uh, which there's a lot we didn't even get a chance to get into today, but it's just so, so powerful. So I will uh, I will include all those links and encourage everyone to go follow you everywhere. All right. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, you, Eric. Appreciate it. Wow. That was really, really inspiring. I didn't know a lot about Eric's story and am so touched by how not only he transformed his own life, but he rescued an animal and brought this loving canine companion on his journey with him. And they both reclaimed their health and gained positivity and brought so so much of that into the world to share with others. So I'm, I'm incredibly grateful that he shared his time. He told us that he is often on these really national platforms. So thanks for being on our small, wonderful podcast. Also, another thing I really appreciated about his story is that he talked about his partner and how she also experienced the same health benefits through plant-based eating. And, and when you hear one story, you think, oh, well, he had that experience. I would never have that experience. But the fact that he and his partner, who he had not even been in contact with for 40 years, also had a, the same positive experience is really powerful. Yeah, it's uh, this. We hope you guys found as much inspiration from this as we did. And if anything, parts of Eric's story touched or resonated with you, um, I hope that. Yeah, he his resources that he shares on his website and beyond and in this podcast uh, will be a great inspiration as we step into the new year. Thank you guys, as always, for listening. This podcast is made possible by you, our listeners, and our amazing guests. 
So we are so grateful for every one of you tuning in and extra, extra grateful for those of you who leave us reviews on iTunes that helps our podcast be heard. And also like this episode was particular, if you felt it was particularly inspiring or might be inspiring to someone you know in your life, we hope that you will take the moment to share it with them um, and potentially change and save even more lives going forward. Yes, thank you very much. And also you can always support this podcast on Patreon. Patreon allows you to lend a hand in actually producing this podcast. So we would be incredibly grateful. The website for that is patreon.com slash plant powered people. And you can find the show notes uh, and everything that Eric mentioned and all those resources and beyond at plantpoweredpodcast.com. Thanks so much for tuning in. Have a beautiful kickoff to 2020 and we will see you in the next episode. Thanks. Bye. Bye.